Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty for Her. Today, we are so excited to have with us Julie McClure of Hello Me. And we're taking this season to talk specifically about retail, all forms of retail, from brick and mortar and D2C to wholesale and multi-channel brands. So I'm excited to dig in with Julie and learn a little bit about her Hello Me story. Julie, welcome. So nice to be here. Thank you. Of course, it's nice to have you. Tell us a little bit about Hello Me so we have a little context here. Perfect. Um, So Hello Me is a wellness and beauty brand that I created to be exclusively focused on hormonal balance for women so that women could take back control of their hormones and get back to looking and feeling their best. And so we do that through science-backed, super effective products that really change the game for women and how they're looking and feeling day to day. Because as women, we go through, you know, four decades of uh, hormonal fluctuations and they can, there can be some very serious pain points that it's hard to get to the root cause. So we're solving for that root cause for women. I have to believe, because you're a woman, that you have experienced some of these things. Is that true? Is this born of your own sort of story in any way? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, even though I had this, you know, business career and I worked on Wall Street, what's, you know, some of my biggest learnings and challenges have come from my health and having to overcome these hormonal imbalances that I went through and really put me into survival mode. So, for instance, I started my career working in consumer and retail mergers and acquisitions uh, on Wall Street. And, you know, I loved consumer brands. So this is very relevant to today. But You know, I spent 10 years suffering from chronic migraines. And what I didn't know at the time is that my birth control had been depleting me of all these key nutrients that were triggering my migraines. And which later, because it, you know, you're on birth control 10, 20 years, I was on it a decade. After, you know, say seven years on birth control pill, I started to develop this like low grade chronic anxiety. And so uh, finally, after, you know, being in this survival mode, because my neurologists were giving me prescription after prescription and getting four to six migraines a week, I just said, look, I cannot be in my early 30s and, you know, living this type of life. You know, it's going to lead to an early death for me. Right. So I knew it was chronic inflammation. I knew I had to do something and take it into my own hands. So. I then left the industry to figure out my own health. And at the time, the science hadn't caught up, so we didn't know exactly everything that was happening with the pill. But I did go to a naturopathic doctor, and she said, you know, what are your symptoms? And I told her, and this is one of the first things I did. And she said, your birth control is depleting you and causing these symptoms. So that was sort of the first aha moment. You know, fast forward several years, the science catches up, and we start to realize, like, what is happening to our bodies. I went to naturopathic school after I changed my own health because I had a complete, you know, improvement in my quality of life. I was a you know, different person when you don't have chronic pain. Wow. And so I went back to study more about nutrition, like clinical nutrition, botanical medicine, all the medical courses. Um, and after a couple of years, I wanted to really marry that passion with my passion for business and creating products that, you know, change lives or help women uh, one by one. And I had met my co-founder who initially formulated the products with me, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Goldspink, the first day in naturopathic school. So when the stars aligned for us to team up, we're like, we want to create products that truly change the game for women. Nobody was addressing this, you know, topic of hormonal imbalance. She had completed the naturopathic post-medical school and was in personalized medicine. I had been living through this uh, in my own journey, and, and I was still entrenched in the in the wellness space uh, every day. And so, you know, it was like let's create a product that really addresses these, you know, seventy four million women in the U.S. alone who are going through their reproductive years, suffering from either PMS or hormonal birth control symptoms, and that's you know seventy five seventy seventy five percent of those women. And like solve it at the root cause. And so that's why Hello Me was born. It was all about, you know, looking in the mirror, being proud of who you are and saying like, welcome back to me. I'm like my most beautiful, badass self and I'm here to conquer the world. I love that. I love 
that not only was it born of your own story, but given that science had had not caught up at that time, that you had to really dig into the research, which then you find, okay, I'm not alone, and there are no solutions for us. Or the solutions are so hard to pull together, no, no company has tried to make something of this. So you guys get together, which I love yeah. that she's <laughs> a woman too, and you guys decide to focus on creating this product. Now you've got to get it to market and you yeah. decide that it should be direct to consumer. Tell us a little bit about that, like why that decision? Yeah, so, I mean, this uh, the product was formulated back in 2018, so 2017, 2018, to give you context. So at the time, you know, direct consumer was becoming much more prevalent in, I'd say, just in retail brands in general. Like, when I started my career in the 90s or late 90s at Morgan Stanley, uh, in the consumer retail sector, DTC didn't exist really. Like I think there was a shoot one shoe company that we were doing uh, yeah. private financing for, uh, but effectively it was, it was all freestanding models. So for direct to consumer, you know, the reason why I wanted to go down that path was that there's such an opportunity to uh, really understand the consumer by owning the data around your mm-hmm. consumer. So as they interact with you, as they engage, as you market to them, you start to really understand what their pain points are, who they are, like what are what are the things driving their life, and it allows you to you know better message to um, create a stronger relationship. It allows you to really understand as a business person. How do we get our consumer to purchase the product? What kind of education do they do they need? So for instance, you know, as we did this test marketing, we realized, okay, because it's such a new space, people haven't made that connection between wellness and beauty and how they and hormonal balance today. We need to provide education first, right? We lead with that. And then post you lead with sort of here's the product that can solve these problems for you. And so direct consumer allows you to do that versus, you know, if I went to a retailer, I don't get to see the data, right? So I'll get my sales data, but along with taking like 60, 70% margin, generally a lot of the big retailers, uh, which sometimes it's worth it because of the marketing and the brand building that they provide. But as an early stage company to really understand my consumer and how I convert them and how I, you know, enhance their journey along the way and what, what their experience is with the brand, that is something that can't be done if I just went omni-channel from day one. Right. And I would also say with something that was so, you know, both cutting edge and hard for the consumer to wrap their head around, it's important for the consumer to understand you. So when you distribute through another retail channel, brick and mortar, let's say, you release them into the hands of whoever the, you know, 21-year-old employee is. God bless all 21-year-old employees. (laughs) But they don't necessarily understand hello me. They don't understand the pain points. They don't understand where it's coming from. And in order to get them to do that, then you've got to blow out this whole training sort of model to, yeah. to bring those people in. So what you what you give up in distribution, right? Yeah. In wide distribution, you actually are able to, in those early years, to your point, hold on to, hold on to the data, understand what you guys can build out down the road or even what you can tweak. It could be tweaking in the marketing message. It may not even be in the actual product. So that's awesome that you guys were able to do that. What in your Morgan Stanley career sort of prepared you for what you're learning now or what you've Mm -hmm. encountered now? So I think, well, not I think, I know. I I had to have a lot of tenacity in my in my Morgan Stanley career to, to work hundred hour weeks and to, you know, there was a expectation to deliver perfect, you know, materials, perfect deliverables. So I think it taught me, um, stamina. I mean, I, you know, obviously I was always hard driving, but certainly like you don't know what it's like to work a hundred hours a week until you actually work them. So, and have to perform at your best while you're working them and not, you know, getting any sleep. So, as an entrepreneur, I think it really taught me, one, I can push through, right? Because there's moments as an entrepreneur yeah. that, you know, you have big highs and some big lows and you really have to push through yeah. those moments, right? And yeah. you don't always have people there just like holding you around and lifting you up. It's like, yeah. okay, I want, I need this, I need to want this bad enough that I'm going to go through this sort of like difficult period of time to get to the other side and believe in my vision enough to know that I can get there. So 
you know, Morgan Stanley days taught me that I can, you know, I can persevere under very challenging situations. And considering the fact I also had chronic migraines while working 100 hour weeks, I had to get through a lot. And then I think it also just taught me, it taught me the value of people who you choose to work with. So I had some interesting mm-hmm. experiences. I worked with some of the toughest individuals at the firm when I first started. And then I worked for the most incredible leaders at the firm, you know, the co-presence of the global securities business and, you know, some incredible women who are working with them as well. And so that I, I got to see the importance of, you know, your team and, and who you're working with, particularly when you're working so hard and how it changes your journey and the difference it makes. So, yeah. so that was a big learning. And I think thirdly, it would be just the ability to just take on something and figure it out because, you know, all the learnings on the job. Now, obviously I was surrounded by a lot of bright people who'd done this job many times, but every deal is different. And you get in a position where you, the volume and the, the type of work that you have to do, you don't have a lot of people sitting around you holding your hand. You just have to deliver. And so you have to be resourceful and you have to figure out how to do it and have that stamina. So that was good training ground for me moving into a field of entrepreneurship. Yeah, two things that you said that I I have to touch on is the distinction you made between tough people, and you were kind, I think, to say tough, (laughs) and great leaders. And I think sometimes we conflate those two things. And we believe that, especially if we've come from a corporate environment, we kind of bring those things in and we may feel like it's necessary to be tough. Being tough is different mm-hmm. than making tough decisions. Yes. Tough decisions is require, are, are required. But to be tough, to be maybe a little rough around the edges, to be, I would even say, a bully at times is not, is, is not what we mean when we talk about great leadership. No. Can you just make that distinction and maybe how you now as a leader in your company are, are you know, leaning into those tools that you've learned? So I define, you know, when I think back to those days, you can be a great producer, right? And not be a great leader. So a lot of times, like at an investment bank, you can have individuals who, you know, rise to a certain level because they're a great producer. They bring in revenue, they get the job done, but there's no, uh, and and this is going back many years, so firms could have changed, but there's no uh, day-to-day attention on how they're nurturing the people around them, how they're dealing with them day-to-day and what the morale is of that team. Great leaders inspire people and great leaders also have a, in my opinion, have a human element to them. They can be vulnerable, people can see them, you know, um, expressing their, their best gifts, but also being real. And so when you're going through a challenging time, it's, you know, it, you're authentic about it. And obviously as a leader, you need to bear often the brunt of sort of the stress and like, you know, you don't want people to, be in a state of stress around you if you're in a, a, an entrepreneurial world is very uncertain, but you also want to be real. And I think, I think for me over the years, you know, I started out where it was like everything had to be perfect and the expectations were so high. I was already a very hard driver and perfectionist kind of in my own right. I've had to unwind that over the years to A, you know, you need to delegate a lot more because people really enjoy their job and they feel like they've got an ability to create and drive something forward and put their own human touch on things. And so if you, if you map it out and put them in a box, it's not really that inspiring. Uh, and then I think secondly, just, you know, having more compassion for not only myself, but others in terms of there's no perfect person, there's no perfect business, right? And so we're all learning and as an entrepreneur, it's so obvious that every day is a step forward in terms of our learning. No two days are the same. And so we're gonna make mistakes and we really need to like look at those mistakes. We iterate all the time, right? We're always changing. Oh, this didn't work yesterday, today we need to change it. But when we do it as a team, we're not going back and saying, oh, you did a poor job on messaging and so it didn't work. It's actually like, you know what? We just haven't figured it out yet as a team. So let's try this, let's try that. And so. The people that I have on the team, I feel exceptionally grateful for because we can do that. Like we just look at every day as sort of a new day. And what do we need to do now? What do we need to try? And, you know, we've all been through the ups and downs, but we don't take it as it's a personal thing, right? Um, We're all trying our best. We're all invested in this company to make it great. And so from a leadership standpoint, I think over the years, I've just become much more true to who I am and more authentic in my style and 
you know, I don't, I don't have this like, oh, this is, I'm the boss and you're the employee. That's not how I view the world. I feel like we are a team. We're building something incredible and I want us all to be here till the end. That's awesome. And you should be giving leadership uh, lessons somewhere if you're not already. (laughs) No, I just, I think, you know, it's hard. It's, it's easy to say, there's a distinction in leadership styles and one produces more fruit. But when you're in it, it's really hard when it's your baby. <laughs> it's really hard when somebody isn't performing and you wanna you wanna take the the brunt of that as the as the leader and give them more slack. It's a nuanced thing. It's not mm-hmm. it's not a black and white so you thing. So you're always trying to read those situations and the team and those individuals. So Kudos to you for bringing all of that into your kind of entrepreneurial endeavor and and making that work for you and and for the team and all the people that get to work in Hello Me and be a part of uh, the change that you guys are bringing uh, bringing into the world. Let's go back to the the product a little bit more. So you're putting out a product that mm-hmm. has to have some science involved, mm-hmm. and you obviously teamed up. Yeah, which I love, by the way. Everybody needs to go to Hello Me and see the branding, and the, it's so cool. Yeah, it it's like I want to whip that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. How did you know where you wanted to focus? You yourself had gone through the migraines and then the low grade uh, anxiety. Yeah. Anxiety. I wanted yeah. to get the word right. How did you know what you wanted to first? kind of pinpoint or effect? Yeah. So, you know, big vision when I, you know, look at the space, first of all, I wanted to remove the stigma around hormones, right? Change what it means to be hormonal because historically, nobody talked about this when I was in my early thirties, you know, I'm 47 now, nobody, nobody talked about it. And so it was about removing the stigma and really helping people understand like that there is a connection between how they look and feel and the hormones. And so because most people are, you know, trying to do their best, or like they might be drinking the green juices and going to Soul Cycle and all these things, but they're not getting to that root cause. And maybe their adrenals are tapped out, or their thyroid, or you know, their sex hormones are, are fluctuating, and so they just don't get the results, right? They're bloated, they're fatigued, they they don't yeah. sleep well. Um, and so, you know, when I think about the brand, the vision was to be able to take women through their adult years and allow them to gracefully transition from one life stage to the next. So when you think about, you know, oh, I want to buy an exercise bike today, a household name would be Peloton, right? My, you know, goal and what I plan to achieve is that when people think about, oh, I'm going through a new stage in life, or I just had a child, I'm going through postpartum, or I'm on the birth control pill and I'm suffering from symptoms, I need to see what Hello Me has for me because I know they can mm-hmm. solve it if it's hormone related. And so be that, you know, go-to beacon of trust within hormonal self-care because hormonal self-care has changed, right? It used to be, let's put a face mask on and have a bath on Sunday night and, you know, drink your green juices during the week and that's it. But no, it's it's extended now into uh, hormones as well. So that um, was the big vision is like creating this brand that really is the go-to source for all your wellness and beauty challenges through the decades. And then secondary to that, you know, I wanted to start with women in the reproductive years. So it's a huge, um, you know, you've got 74 million women, as I said, in the U.S. in that age category. And if you think about women on birth control globally, there's almost 410 million. And then, you know, women who are dealing with PMS, that is literally 75% of the whole reproductive years population. So it's a huge group that are going through these. And I think to this point in time, Women have just accepted that they need to deal with PMS if it's something that they get every month. And so for one week a month, they're not going to be in a great mood or they're, you know, they're not going to really want to go out. And so their life kind of gets dimmed for that week. And it's something we can solve for. So I felt the market size was really big. It was completely untapped. We had an opportunity. uh, The science had caught up. We had an opportunity to really solve for these pain points at and alleviate these side effects so that women in that age group can then get to their best self. I think subsequent to that, there's so much opportunity because we still have postpartum and, and you know things like that haven't been addressed. Perimenopause and menopause is massive. It's a billion women. You know, I was thrown into it last year through surgery because I went through breast cancer two years ago and then last year they wanted me to 
you know, have surgery so I had no risk of ovarian cancer. So I've literally gone through this compressed life cycle in a couple of years and I understand how painful it is for women and these side effects, how debilitating they can be if you're not sleeping for seven months, if you're having anxiety every day. So I think there's, you know, room to go, but I wanted to start in those earlier years, you know, sort of 18 to 34 when women are, you know, it's really pre-children. Some of our customers have already had kids and they go on top of tonic or they're in perimenopause and they find great relief because their adrenals are tapped and things need to step up. But really it's kind of taking that first chunk and then we're going to start moving into other growing with them. life stages. Sure. sure. And, and especially I would think when I'm 53, so I'm on the the other end of your, so hurry and come up with products. It's where I am. It's where I am too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny, even in talking with my girlfriends, like who is making the decision to go on some sort of hormone treatment and then all of the things around that when those hormone treatments are synthetic. And so how you're dealing with that too, in helping us to manage through that. Can you just speak to that for a quick minute in terms of what is in the product? Oh, sir, you mean in terms of what's in top of tonic in the product? Yeah. 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 So yeah. top of tonic is 18. So it's one capsule. Um, I'll just show you because it's, you know, when you think of 18 ingredients, you think it's going to be the size of a baseball. So um, this, yeah. <laughs> this is the capsule, yeah. 18 ingredients. So we've got, you know, your probiotics, your prebiotics. So the fuel source for that good uh, bacteria. Then we've got thyroid supporting nutrients. So things like iodine from kelp. We've got zinc in the product. We've got tyrosine. We've got all your B-complex vitamins in their most highly bioavailable form. Bees are so incredible for your energy and mental clarity. And Mm. we've also got vitamin C, and I had mentioned zinc, so that's important for immunity. And vitamin C is involved not only in immunity, skin, but also balancing your progesterone levels, right? Mm. So this product, you know, even though it was initially formulated for women who are suffering from PMS or have hormonal birth control symptoms are at risk because they're on hormonal birth control from these depletions. It is also really effective for women in perimenopause. We're starting to feel these shifts because a lot of women have low thyroid function are starting to feel the effects of that. And so this supports your thyroid. A lot of women's adrenals have to step up because their sex hormones are dropping. So your adrenals play a bigger role in your hormones um, and keeping you balanced as you're going through perimenopause. So it supports that. And then obviously in a time like today where we're going through, you know, this pandemic and our immune systems are so, you know, we're, we need to be particularly cautious about nourishing our, our bodies and ensuring we have a strong immune system. It's got the immune boosting nutrients as well. So, you know, together it's a holistic product that if you were to go out and figure out what you could possibly kind of put together and what dose you'd need, you'd be taking you know, 18 capsules and spending $450 up front just to get the equivalent of the ingredients. Sure. You've hit on the perimenopausal thing a few times. And so I just have to ask, even yeah. though the product is made for that, I think you said 18 to 34, that's your focus. That's Yeah, it, that's our it, core it can be used. Yeah. But it can be used by people in that. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and we have a lot of customers who, because they're resonating with the symptoms, right? Hormone imbalance symptoms sure. tend to manifest like similar, like, you know, oh, I'm bloated or I'm, my metabolism's off or my mood swings and I'm having, you know, PMS or my cycles are irregular. Uh, my energy's dropped. Those are all things that women are resonating with. Either they're on birth control, they have PMS, or they're in perimenopause. So sure. we will come out with more products over time, which will be really focused on that category. But people are drawn to it because there's really it's it's a solution for them. Oh, I, th- thank you. I, I'm glad to know it's out there, and we will be touting Hello <laughs> Me and its um, effects. Tell me something that you think in becoming an entrepreneur and in launching Hello Me, something that you've learned through the process about yourself personally? Good question. I think there's so many learning points, but I'll I'll try and narrow it down. Um, I think I've learned the importance of recognizing that, you know, it's a your career and and starting a business, whatever you're doing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So you really need to have some balance because it's very easy and as a driven person, it's very easy to get 100% consumed and to let all the other things in your life kind of take secondary place. And yeah. so, and that's not the most fulfilling life, right? 
So balance is something I've been learning over time. I still haven't mastered it, but it's something that, you know, I'm much more cognizant about and something that I recognize I needed to figure out as an entrepreneur. I think also my definition of success over the years and shifting into this entrepreneurial world is, has changed. And I've, I've, you know, I started my career in my 20s sort of wanting the top job and what everybody else wanted, the most difficult job to get on Wall Street and be one of the two people, et cetera. Those are the things and like getting in the top tier or getting promoted or by year and bonus. Those are the things that I defined as success. But now it is completely flipped on its head. Obviously, I see huge potential. I, I know Helen me will have great success eventually, but it's the journey itself for me now. Like I have to yeah. be doing something that's really purposeful. I left that industry because it wasn't like soul fulfilling. And so I've learned that entrepreneurship for me allows me to nurture my creative soul. Like I just, I, that's, that's what I was meant to do. I was meant to create and big vision person. And when I'm not doing that, um, that's when I start to feel suffocated. That's when, you know, my, my light is dimmed. And so I think success for me today is great health. Because, uh, you know, really with it, when you lose your health, there's not a whole lot else that um, you can't make yeah. up for it. And, no, and you've dealt with that firsthand. Yeah. And doing something purposeful where at the end of the day, like, you know, you're creating this you're the architect of your life and you want to make sure at the end that you feel like you've done something meaningful for yourself and for the world and entrepreneurship for me is what allows me to put my little mark on the world in some in some way you basically are like sharing the the mission of why we're doing this podcast <laughs> yeah. i mean we want we want people to see entrepreneurship and really building your own venture and we define that We've said it a million times here, but it can be a nonprofit. It can be writing yeah. a book. It can be it, whatever that thing is that takes this sort of entrepreneurial spirit. So we're glad to hear from you directly <laughs> how that's impacted your life and in in turn impacting so many of us. I want to pick your brain a little bit. We're, we said we're going to talk about the the kind of retail piece of this. Sure. So you've we, we understand why you launched D2C. It makes all the sense mm -hmm. in the world, gives you complete control, not only of the data, but of the message that you're sending out and directly communicating with the customer. But where do you go from here? What's mm -hmm. the next best move for you? And this could be for Hello Me or even yeah. other things that you've seen, other models that you've seen work. So what I've seen in this space is that, you know, retail has shifted from, you know, brick and mortar today, I feel is a place where people discover, they, mm. they discover new brands. It's also where you get to experience the brand because it's, it's yeah. more difficult to experience a brand virtually. And after spending two years on Zoom, we all can appreciate yes. now we, we like <laughs> to go and experience things in person. Um, yes. But I really feel like, you know, for me, having those branded brick and mortar stores for brands now is where you get to bring the brand alive. It's almost like a marketing cost. Now, it's great if it's driving, you know, incredible sales per square foot, you know, like a lot of the companies do, like Apple or, you know, Warby Parker, etc. But it, for me, that's kind of how I look at our retail brick and mortar play is it's where people can discover the brand where they might not have otherwise been exposed to it. And so it's got to be your target demo. And then also it has to be aligned with sort of the brand positioning and, you know, the type of consumer you're trying to draw in. So for instance, you know, Top Up Tonic is not a mass market product at the price point it is. So you're not going to see it in CVS, but, you know, could you see some of our products down the road at a Sephora? Absolutely. You know, has, yeah. or Revolve, you know, places like that. So I think it's, Experiential retail is experiential. I think most brands, you know, when they start out D2C, they get to a certain point where they've had a lot of success, they've they've got great awareness, and then it starts to make sense to like move into omni-channel, right? And to get those larger distribution deals to continue to expand the footprint and access to the product. And so there's a time and place for that, and I think it's different for every company. Uh, some companies, you know, perhaps never do that. You'll look at, um, you know, I used to always buy the, the natural deodorant native and the native yeah. was always direct to consumer. And then it was purchased by one of the strategics and now you can find it everywhere. So that's like a yeah. natural extension after three, four years of being direct to consumer, then it exploded through channels that the masses had access to. 
So that's how I see um, the, you know, the path forward. I think we take it, you know, in intervals, like for me to say, oh, we're going to be omni-channel in 12 months. Well, I, uh, you know, today I can't say that, but what I can say is when we've got the right partners and we've, you know, created enough traction on the DTC that it makes sense to start expanding into new channels for access. And then that's when I start to look at the decisions. But to date, I've turned down retail because I've wanted to keep it concentrated to DTC. When you talk about that omni-channel move, a lot of that depends on consumer trends and appetite for what's new. When you talked about native, they sort of hit when a lot of, they hit, you know, let's say the target level. When people who were starting to look for natural Mm -hmm. solutions were looking for them in places like a target, they weren't actually so invested that they were willing to go D to C, right? They were, they, they didn't want that extra hassle. So as you say that, I realize your product may be primed for that because we're, we're hearing a lot more about hormonal imbalance. We're hearing a lot more about even mental health and what's causing yes. those things. So you guys are, your particular product might be primed for that. But I think for our listeners, it's also what I want them to hear and what you're saying is that a lot of that, it just depends on mm-hmm. what else is happening around the brand. You may, if you're selling chewing gum, I don't know if chewing gum is going to have a moment in the next, yes. you know, 12 months or <laughs> two know. years. Now, perhaps there's something in your Toilet chewing paper gum. Did. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> touche, touche. That is absolutely. And you know what? All joking aside, there was a surge when people started to come out of uh, the pandemic in different states in chewing gum and mints. I know. And there was a great because. ad that went viral about everybody coming. It was, a, I don't know if you saw that yes. ad, but yes, yes okay, I did. So everybody was yes. coming out and meeting people and they realized they needed a breath freshener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so I probably shouldn't even use the chewing gum thing <laughs> yeah, because everything it. can have its moment. But, but I just think I want here to, I want people to hear what you're saying about your product and any product that you don't just automatically go from D to C to thinking multi, uh, omni-channel is the end all. It depends on the product. It depends on the consumer appetite. It depends on a lot of, a lot of things. And the um, audience, sometimes what, it's a partnership too, right? You start with one because there's, yeah. um, you know, somebody selling birth control, that is a great partner for Hello Me and their customers already there and we could really benefit that customer by bundling the product or having giving them quick access and and giving them exposure to it that makes sense and that's a different that's a new channel than our own channel but it makes a lot of sense right and that probably happens sooner rather than you know going into sort of a mass retail channel is my sure 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 especially uh, again given the price point and given the the sophistication of the product and who you want that consumer to be. What would you say, and this doesn't have to be to hello me, but it can, what would you say is the downside or something to be cautious of when people consider D2C launching with a D2C model? So it's interesting. So I, you know, I vet a fair number of different business ideas through, um, you know, UCLA's Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation in their business school. And so one thing that I often find is, and this is natural when you're creating a business plan and going through things, when you think D2C, the thought process is, oh, I'm just going to put some money and then customers will convert because the average person, you know, average traffic 1% and they start to do the math and they just assume that day one, you're going to get sales when you put it and launch it on the internet and you're going to be able to convert. So the down, like DTC is a very, uh, you need a skilled, you know, you need skilled growth marketers on your team to make it a success. I mean, you're, you could get lucky and it just happens to go viral. All of a sudden, everyone has found your website and heard about your brand, but it takes effort. You don't have somebody like in a retail channel. If you are partnered with say like a Sephora, Sephora ensures that they've got this pre-built marketing plan to launch a brand into their space to ensure that there's going to be success or, you know, a Nordstrom, et cetera. So they've already got a formula for, you know, how much marketing is invested, how do we reach the customer, all that. You need to figure out your own formula for DTC. So you need to figure out the messaging, you need to figure out how to convert your customer. 
you need to make sure the cost is reasonable to acquire that customer. And then you also need to figure out how to keep that customer. Because you're, if you're doing something like, you know, we've got a subscription model, you know, we've been fortunate that like the product's so effective, we have like incredible retention rates. So once people find us, they don't want to ever go off the product, um, which is great for a DTC brand. And that's what you want. But those things are just not a given. Like you need to test, you need to do a lot of trial uh, and error. And so there's a cost to that and you need to bake in that cost and also time because launching a brand from zero, you know, um, people often say to me, oh, well, how was the pandemic for you? Like, you know, did it just like make your company explode? And I said, well, interesting enough, I was just starting to go live during the pandemic. I was raising capital during the pandemic. So oh, had gosh. people known the, ban- the brand existed when you know March of 2020 hit, I, yes, it would have exploded, but I was starting from a place of nobody knowing about the brand yet. So it took yeah. me time to develop that awareness. And so you know, I didn't get that first day lift from everybody being online. I had to build up to that. So I think there's a cost, there's a time, and I just think, it's important to not be naive uh, that it's going to immediately drive sales and traction and you're going to be able to acquire customers. It, it takes a skill set and it takes trial and error and you need to put some capital behind smart testing. Yeah, I think a lot of us think, you know, if we build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And the, there's a distinction there. You have to build it so they have a place yes. to go. Like you have yes. to build it. That is true, but you can't make the assumption or the leap that because you've built it, they automatically come. And I like that you're kind of helping to open our eyes to don't forget to bake in or build in that cost. How are they going to come? Where are they coming from? What are the sort of mechanisms where you're reaching out to them and bringing them in? And those growth marketing, you know, funnels that we see, those those lessons that you can learn are important ones to learn. I think we often just think, oh, it's complicated. I'm just going to make a great product and put it on the internet and, you know, throw some Instagram um, images out and everyone will come flocking because it's such a great product. And that's not, that's in fact not the case. It's a noisy, noisy world out there. Even if your product is so unique, they have to, they have to find that it exists. And getting that product market fit is the first step, right? And it's the first step for every company is just, you have to know that like, that's a process you're going to go through. Because, you know, living and breathing the space and having gone through it, knowing there's nothing out there, I knew it was an incredible product. I knew there was a huge appetite for it, but I still had to go through that trial and error process of how do people find me and how do I message and how do they understand, you know, I'm living and breathing it, but for somebody else, this is completely new to them. So I need to be able to message properly so they can understand the benefit and why they would spend this type of money per month to get the product. So, yeah, I think that's that's something I... um, you know, when I'm mentoring different people and, and businesses, it's something we we spend time on because it's easy to just put a paper formula, you know, model together and say, oh, this is going to be, you know, a $5 million business in a year. Well, the first million is probably the hardest to get. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you think of kind of the landscape of retail and you touched a little bit on the pandemic, what have you seen in your own experience or maybe even your findings that has shifted for a season or maybe permanently? I think, you know, when I look, cause I'm in the wellness space, I think the focus on health and wellness has been a positive shift for everybody because everyone understands that, you know, even once COVID goes away, we, there could be something else at any time that hits us. And so we need yeah. to really take care of our health, boost our immune systems and make that a priority in our lives. And I think a lot of people had lost that focus or had never had it because it just wasn't something that was brought to their attention, right? So I think that is something I've noticed. I think people are a lot more comfortable shopping online now because we've had to be. So I don't think, you know, direct consumer or retail shopping online is going to go away. And that's why you've seen a lot of these, you know, traditional brands who are largely brick and mortar really having to up their game on the digital side of things. And, um, and I think personalization is becoming more and more of an important element of your brand and, you know, personalizing the communication and how you communicate with people and what, how, you know, like for instance, a good example of this is 
We know that a lot of our customers who have children at home, they tend to correspond more with us through email and our hormone coach through email versus SMS. So we've got these coaches that people can ask questions to uh, on anything related to their hormones or their health. But those who have kids at home tend to do it by email and those who are not kind of in those early family building years, they tend to like to correspond through text messaging with us. So I think businesses have to be uh, more nimble and I think they need to also have multiple ways of communicating with their customers as they build the brand and make it more personalized over time. So I think... That probably didn't come out of the pandemic, but that is something that is a trend that is certainly evolving. No, as we're a, more digital, it's 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 something yeah. that makes sense, right? Yeah. No, it's an important one, and it helps us to understand even the way you just kind of helped us to understand the demographic of those who are emailing, why they're emailing versus those who are using uh, um, text to communicate and why that's so important for a brand like yours, who's hitting both of those markets, but (laughs) in different ways. And even the data that that's giving you, right? Like that's really telling you something about your user and helping you to craft perhaps messaging for them or even more product for them. Yeah, and we can understand, you know, what are other pain points that we haven't solved for that they're dealing with that they would love solved, right? That's a great, that yeah. you know, we talk about DTC versus being in a retail. If I stood in the retail store, I could ask people, but, and that's yeah. something you should do if you're in retail, but, um, you know, really see that engagement interaction with the product. But for DTC, it allows us to really get inside and understand what else is going on in their lifestyle and how else can we be helpful to take them on this journey. Yeah. Um, There are so many bits of wisdom that you've given us in this uh, chat, but I'm wondering if there's anything from really looking at your story from the launch kind of perspective, what it took for you to launch this, the tenacity, the hard work, the focus, the resilience. Um, Are there any words of wisdom that you would want to leave with our audience, you know, primarily made up of women who are considering their own possibilities? Lots of learnings that I've had. I think, first of all, I like people to know that if you set your mind to it and you believe, it's possible, right? First, you have to believe. Um, And so I think fear often paralyzes people. It's sort of like I have this amazing idea, but then I start to think I have to figure out how I'm gonna get from creating the initial prototype of the product to being a you know million dollar business, right? But that's not how it works. It's like so the fear paralyzes, then they never start. So I think you know from that perspective, it's like don't let fear paralyze you. Just take the first step. Go out, create your product idea, go test it, see if it. Then you go to the next step. Every day is a new step, and you will know when it's the right time to take that leap to fully invest in it. I would also, in terms of one of my big learnings, is is I would never put all my capital into my investment. I've had two companies. I would never put all my own personal capital at risk in my, you know, because there are things that can come out of your control and you can lose the capital. So be smart about that, right? In terms of um, all the capital you deploy, but also who you bring around the table. So if you're starting a business and you're bringing in partners, I've learned over the years a, if there's red flags in the beginning with like say investors or employees, whatever it might be as you're negotiating agreements or coming up with contracts, follow your gut and your intuition. Because your journey is really important and you bring in the wrong people and your journey changes. And it's, it's an up and down road and you want the people who are there in the good times and the bad times. Um, so that's some of the wisdom I've learned that not every dollar has the same value and that people that you bring around the table and their energy is incredibly important for how the journey turns out for you and how much you enjoy yeah. it. Um, and yeah, and as I said at the beginning, it's, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. So you need to take care of yourself and your health and you need to prioritize that even though it's hard sometimes because you feel like, oh, the list never goes away in terms of things you should do. But for instance, I blocked my first two hours in my morning so that I can get my workout and I can start my day with the right mindset on my own terms. And then I book my meetings because there's always requests for meetings and your day could just be at everyone's mercy. So that's something I've also learned too. To be able to get to the finish line and run this marathon, I have to have some sacred hours for myself 
which are sometimes for health, sometimes for strategy and thinking outside the box and having that creative freedom. And the others for meetings and obviously doing, you know, what, what needs to be done. I, uh, first of all, thank you. That was a lot of wisdom. I'm still like (laughs) the, not every dollar has the same value. I can't tell you, um, I needed to hear that. So thank you for that. But it's, um, there's so much and I can't wait to listen to this over again, even though I'm right here in the interview with you. Um, Thanks for sharing that with us, Julie. Now, before I let you go, we do something called our fast five and I'm going to ask you five fun questions. Okay. um, And just whatever comes to mind. So the first one is what's the number one trait you think an entrepreneur must possess? Resilience. Yeah. Resilience. Such a good one. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how you could do it without it. Um, and then is there an app or anything that you kind of can't live without for business purposes? So I've shifted from email to Slack. I think it's a common one, but I love using yeah. Slack so that I don't dread my inbox. So that's like a very yeah. common one. I know like our CTO can't live without this app called Tableau. So, you know, yes. he loves it because it's like visualization data analytics. So for those on the tech side of things or incorporating that, that's a powerful app. Now for me, yeah, I'm less on the tech side. I'm kind of old school. I still use notebooks for brainstorming. So <laughs> I, I would say Slack for communication. And then, you know, I asked our, you know, CTO not too long ago, like what's his favorite platform for really, you know, visualizing and, and getting things in order. And, and he had told me Tableau. So I think that's a good one for okay. people who are doing other things. We got two, two for the price of one question. I love it. There you it. go. Um, and then what is the first task that you hired out as soon as you acquired money? As soon as you had a little bit of money to, to make that hire? Okay. So I'm raising capital right now and yeah. I'm hiring a president and COO. So that's the first big hire I'll be making with the capital. And I think that's important because as a founder, you know, you get pulled in the founder, the CEO, and you're wearing so many hats. But if there's a point in time where you need to be able to then go focus on the strategy, the biz dev, the vision, making sure all that's coming because the day-to-day can be 100% of your time. And so with this raise, I'm hiring um, somebody who's built and scaled a brand and can work on the day-to-day. And then I can complement them with all the other things that, you know, are what I believe are my gifts. Sure. That's that's a good one. And one that I think a lot of us... You know, it doesn't have to be a president, but operations... Even if it's not at that kind of C-suite level, we all need somebody to bring in to help with those day-to-days. Yes. Because you really, as the founder, your job is to continue to see the vision through and to bring people in so that you can fulfill that vision. And if you're not doing it, if you're getting lost in the, the very important, but the minutia of the day-to-day, you, you can't get there. Yeah, and, and there's and you a need your responsibility to, to that. Your responsibility is also to keep the passion alive. And if you're doing this, like for me, I do it to create into like, that's what brings me into entrepreneurship instead of working on Wall Street, right? It's not the dollars, it's it's the passion. And so if I'm doing something that is a competency or a good competency, but it's not really, you know, my, um, they call it like your genius zone or your your true gift is kind of many different names for it. Then you start, you know, the passion starts to fade because, you know, you're doing all this work and then you're not getting to do the stuff that really brings you alive and nourishes your soul because that's what gives you energy. So that's the other responsibility you have is to keep the passion alive for the inspiration and leadership. I don't think anyone in all of the interviews I've done, not just on this podcast, but over the years has ever talked about responsibility to the passion. I love that. Okay. That's that's the second thing that you've said today that was just for me. I'm getting a mini therapy session here. This is, I think, the hardest question. So take a minute to think about. But do you prefer salty or sweet snacks? (laughs) Um, Salty and I want them to be crunchy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's a must. It's a must. See, it's it's a very important question. So you know that this podcast is called Liberty for Her. Everything we do here is with the vision and the mission to help women to consider their own possibilities and liberate their own dreams. What does it mean for you when you hear the word liberated or liberty? For me, it means being your authentic, true self and following um, your soul's passion and what you're drawn to. And that can change over time, but that's what liberated to me is, is it's 
living a purposeful, uh, nourishing life. I, you're doing it, Julie. You're doing it and you're teaching us how to do it and inspiring us to do it. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Um, and I know our listeners got so much out of this, uh, this hour together. So thank you for sharing your story. We're excited to go to Hello Me. You want to tell us a little <laughs> bit about how we can find you? Yes, absolutely. And happy to give all your listeners a um, uh, discount on a first purchase too. So you go hello.me and we'll have a code Liberty20 and they can get 20% off. And, awesome. um, yeah, so hello.me and we've got TikTok, which is hello me underscore co and Instagram is hello dot hello me dot co. So you can find awesome. us on the social channels. We're starting to build this community. We'd love to have everyone around and, you know, people can message if they've got further questions or talk to our hormone coach too. Yes, I love that you've got somebody kind of standing by for us. That's awesome. And Liberty listeners, if you're driving, no need to pull over. We will make sure all this information is available both in the archive of the posts, but we'll also shout it out on social media so you can take advantage of the Hello Me discount. Julie, thanks again. It was a pleasure to be with you this morning. Thank you. The pleasure was mine. Yeah, thanks so much. Have a great day. Of course. Do the same. Take care. Liberty listeners, we will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Bye. Liberty For Her is broadcast on all platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty For Her on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty For Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.